So our text today, we've been looking at a series on renovating your life. And today we're going to be looking at a text in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verses 10 through 15. And so uh, in this passage, you'll see here that Paul is speaking. So 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. This is Paul speaking. As a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. A wise builder... A firm foundation, laying a solid base. Uh, I have to confess to you this morning, I am not an expert in the building trades. So it seems a bit cumbersome for me to be talking about what it means to be a good builder. But I will tell you that I, I've learned a few things in the last month or so. You may not be aware, but Rehoboth has put together a design team. And that team has been tasked with the goal of remodeling areas of our church so that we can better fulfill our mission of winning people to Christ and equipping them to serve. And so far, this process has involved a lot of listening and conversations with staff and team leaders and ministry leaders. So we're asking lots of questions, right? And we're talking about space needs and how those spaces can best be utilized to connect with people who come to our church. So as part of this process, I met with two of our team members last week, uh, Kim Isinga and Holly Helsel, two ladies who I consider to be experts in the field of interior design and creating welcoming spaces. And then as part of our time together, um, the conversation turned to choosing paint colors. Now, I don't know about you, but in the past, when I've picked out a paint color, it goes something like this. I go to the paint store and I pick up one of these little, um, one of these paint color booklets, right? And I kind of look through the booklet and I think, oh, well, you know, I don't know, that color red looks nice in this booklet, so I'm sure it would look nice in my house, right? Or I look at this color tan and think, oh, yeah, you know, tan looks good. I'm sure whatever colors here will look good in my house. Yes, I use a very intricate process for picking out paint. Uh, but talking to Holly and to Kim opened up a whole new world for me. Um, they shared with me that it's important to know what colors are going into your paint color because that color tan might look tan in the little sample, but once it goes on my wall and the sun hits it at a certain time of the day, that color red in my tan paint 
may now make the color look quite pink, which may not be quite the hue of tan that I was looking for. And so I think like, wow, like who knew there was such a science to picking out paint colors? And I'm also learning about, you know, things like the color grayish and family of colors and all sorts of tips and tricks that go far beyond my pick it out of the booklet method. Another thing that the design team has been doing is to evaluate every square inch of space in our church and to ask questions about utilizing space to its fullest potential, which ultimately means asking Brian to show us every closet and nook and cranny in the church. And we haven't gotten to the secret tunnel yet, but I know it is here and I'm determined to find it. So one of the fun, fascinating finds uh, found deep in the dark bowels of our church are these right here, these stones, right, from 1890 and 1911 and 1951 and 1987. In ancient times, these cornerstones were used to determine the position of the entire structure built upon them. And if you want to talk about laying a firm foundation, here is the place where it all starts. Everything else hinges upon the cornerstone. Now, our text today isn't about physical building materials, but it is about having a strong foundation. And our text today tells us that Paul has some concerns about this church in Corinth. And the problem that Paul is finding is that the foundational materials being used by the Corinthian church look quite similar to building it out of a bunch of broken boards and cracked bricks. There's competition among various teachers in the church, different teachings being taught, and Paul is telling them, hey, listen, you need to build on the firm foundation of true teaching. Let's not get sidetracked here. And to understand what they're missing, I'm I'm going to lean heavily upon one of my former professors, Scott Jose. And he tells us to really understand this, we need to go all the way back to Genesis 1, where we see God's very intentional, careful setting up of a holy temple in Eden. Maybe you didn't realize this, but he was setting up a temple in Eden, a place where God intended to move with his divine presence so that he could then live side by side with these humans who bore his image. Of course, sin disrupted the first temple, and so God had to make do. And so he does. And then in the book of Exodus, we see God increasing his covenant people. And no sooner does he free them from captivity and give them his law before he immediately launches into these chapters in Exodus that we tend to skip. You know, these long and detailed architectural instructions for building a tabernacle. And then Moses follows these elaborate instructions and he builds this portable tent slash tabernacle And so Exodus 40 gives us new hope as the glory of God's very presence engulfs and it fills that tabernacle right out in the wilderness. And God, once again, is dwelling with his people. 
And Exodus 40 has this way of showing us a small undoing of the tragedy of Genesis 3. That was temporary, though, and then eventually the tabernacle would be succeeded by a temple in Jerusalem, the key place that held the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. And from there, God dwells in Zion, and he rules his people, and really, he rules all of the earth. And then next, we need not rehearse the sad history of Israel, nor the sad, sad picture in Ezekiel, when the prophet sees the presence of God departing from the temple and moving up into the hills around Zion. Sin once again tears the fabric of God's relationship with his people, and it's a bit of an echo of Genesis 3 all over again. But thankfully, God's not done. Someone was coming who would start to bring the glory back again. And it's John who connects the dots for us when he frames up the incarnation of the Son in John 1 verse 14 where it says the word was made flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, and we have seen his glory. Jesus is now the incarnate temple of God. But even Jesus is not the end point of God's desire to dwell again in his creation. The spirit will come at Pentecost, and when this happens, all believers become living temples of this very spirit as God. Once again, God makes a major advance to the fullness of his dwelling on the earth and with his people. And then we could even fast forward to Revelation 21, where we see a new creation and where there is no temple because the whole thing is the temple of God. So here we are this morning in 1 Corinthians 3, and Paul is inviting not only individual Christians to see themselves as living temples, but he's really inviting the whole Corinthian church to see themselves together as God's people. You know, bricks and wood and gold and stones knit together as a place where God's spirit lives. As strong and beautiful as the holy city that comes down out of heaven in Revelation 21 that shines with the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time seeing myself as a temple of the Most High God, a miniature tabernacle where Christ dwells. I look at that and think, that's highly unlikely. When I look at the mirror in the morning, it's not near that glamorous. I see wrinkles that weren't there just a few years ago, as well as a few pounds put on here and there. And there, then there are the things that I set my heart, mind, and soul upon. And those look a far cry from anything worthy of a temple setting. And my family would agree because they see me in the morning and they know what a non-morning person I am. Really, like this here houses something of the divine? I think every person, as they begin to think about themselves, sooner or later comes up with these same types of questions, like, who am I? Have you ever faced that? (laughs) Of course you have. Who am I? Why am I made this way with this name and this color skin? And why have I appeared at this point in history? And what is it all about? What am I supposed to do? 
Young people are wrestling with, with this all the time. These are the fundamental, basic questions of life. And as people ask these questions, they begin to come up with answers. And so someone says, well, I'm here to enjoy myself. The purpose of life is to have fun and to live with gusto and pleasure and enjoy yourself. But another person says, no, I've, I've tried that. And it just doesn't satisfy. I've been living like that. And my life is empty and it's dreary and filled with misery. That's not the answer. So some person says, well, I've come up with another answer. Life consists of hard work and achievement and how high you can get in life and how many people will acknowledge your abilities. But someone else says, no, you see, I've I've tried that too. And it just doesn't seem to satisfy And many times we here as a church, we get sidetracked too, right? With what it means to be a living, breathing temple of the Most High. Just like the Corinthian church, we lose sight of the unity that we have in Christ. And we quickly get lost in budgets and policies, politics and personal preferences. And so in this passage, we could easily see this text as pointing us towards some type of works righteousness reward for getting it all right. But I have to tell you that this passage is truly all about grace. And God does expect us to build on the solid foundation that is Christ and his gospel. But whether we build mightily and sturdily or poorly and weakly, we still emerge saved. Because temples of God's Holy Spirit are just going to endure with that spirit one way or another. Scott Jose says, this is a story about one thing and one thing only. Grace, grace, grace. If we are properly gobsmacked by the revelation that each of us now houses something of the divine, we fall to our knees when we see that even when we do that imperfectly, we get saved anyway. The jaw-breaking message is that by the grace of God and no small miracle, each of us is a walking, talking, breathing temple of God's own Holy Spirit. What a message that is. What a comfort. And what a spectacle whose truth requires a pretty good imagination sometimes. Whether it is we're blue-eyed, blonde, brown-eyed, brunette, redheads, suntans, freckles, bushy hair, and bald heads, hearing aids or glasses, everybody. But here we all are. And Paul reminds us we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Graced people, all of us, the whole blessed lot. When I was in seminary, we studied these two big words, right? Justification and sanctification. And we learned that justification is that moment when we fall before the Lord and we are made righteous before him. And that work right there, that is 100% purely God's activity. It's a moment in time. And then the rest of our lives from that moment forward is sanctification, cooperative grace, 100% God and 100% us. And it's this dance where the Holy Spirit leads and we follow. 
We die daily to ourselves and we rise daily to new life in Christ. Even if we aren't a morning person, it's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this little saying by Corey Ten Boom, a survivor of the Holocaust, that goes like this. If you look at this world, you will be distressed. And if you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you will be at rest. So you might be asking this morning, well... How can I come to see myself as God's individual temple? And how do we here at Rehoboth become God's glorious temple together? Well, I'd like to start by sharing some of my journey, uh, learning to let God give me the proper building materials and paint my walls the right shade of grayish. Not to say that I'm not still a major work in progress, but little by little, God, by his great grace, continues to reveal how he has gifted me. And I'd like to share a little bit of the story of the road that led to me standing here before you today. For many years of my life as a not-so-glamorous stay-at-home mom, I found that there was one nagging question that would not leave me alone. And it consisted of these 11 words. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? No matter how involved in church life I was, those words haunted me year after year. There was just this sense of discontentment. Gary and I tried foster care, thinking this might be the road God was calling us on. And while we saw great things happen during that season of life, Gary's line for me became, Kathy doesn't mind giving her life to Jesus, but she just has a really hard time giving it to DHS. I had always thought, well, maybe mission work might be where the Lord's leading. But I'll be pretty pretty honest with you, I am not the toughest person out there. I'll just share this little story. Pastor Kevin shared a bit about his recent backpacking trip of portaging, portaging supplies over multiple lakes being stuck in the rain for 30 hours straight and living off the land. And by the time he got done sharing, I said to him, so you really consider that a relaxing vacation? You know, seeking out God's call on our lives, it's not always that easy. If you are a young person trying to figure out where God is leading you, please know you're not alone. We are all a work in progress. Starting seminary at age 38 wasn't where I ever in a million years thought the Lord would lead me. I labeled my first three years of seminary much like Jacob, calling it wrestling with God. Why do I share all of this with you? Because there's nothing all that glamorous about it. And oftentimes being God's holy temple involves simply taking the next step. And seeing where the Lord leads, it involves things like failure and perseverance and persistence and prayer. So now if you're asking, well, what could that look like for me? Well, as your newly hired connections and engagement pastor, I have a few ideas up my sleeve. You may well be wondering, well, why has the church hired an associate pastor? And why do we need one of those anyways? And what does she even do? You know, I was looking last week, and and the budget's a little bit behind right now, and I would have to take a lot of the blame for that. 
So if you found that to be disappointing news, you may not like the things I'm going to say next either. Because, you see, I believe that one of the ways that you can dance with the Holy Spirit as a temple is by simply filling out a spiritual gifts inventory and finding out how God has uniquely designed and created you to serve in his kingdom. The paint colors that he is giving you and the building materials he's giving you. I have not seen two inventories come across my desk that look the same. Each of us have gifts that makes our heart sing. And when we serve in those areas, God uses us as miniature temples for his glory. And then we as a congregation, we grow together as a perfectly constructed temple, the dwelling place of God. How exciting is that? You may find out, wow, I think I'm gifted in intercession and join with our prayer team and bathe our church and our community in prayer. Or maybe you'll find out that you have gifts in things like encouragement or shepherding or teaching and say, wow, I think I'd like to have the impact upon a young life. You may decide to be a kid's hope mentor this year. I don't know if our high school students realize this, but you have the opportunity to be a mentor as early as your freshman year in high school. Also this fall, we will be offering opportunities for you to join a life group, which has the ability to transform your life as you build relationships with other believers and you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. And I'd encourage you to start praying now about that opportunity and what doors God might be opening for you as part of a small group. And then lastly, I am part of an amazing group of individuals called a design team. And we are going to be asking you as a church to do hard things and to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. We may ask you to give up some of your personal tastes for the sake of reaching new people. Do you know what's so absolutely stunning about each of these stones up here this morning? It's not the building materials used, although they have surely stood the test of time. But rather, it's the foundation given for us to build upon. These foundations were outgrown and replaced. They gave us a foundation that made room for more people to enter and to gather together. And those who have gone before us speak volumes about what it means to dance with the Holy Spirit and to trust his lead. You know, over the weekend, I had an opportunity to read your little history book here. And what I read in here was a story of 125 years of people who fought hard and endured much for the sake of Christ. They struggled for years over a debate of moving from the Dutch language to the English language. And that struggle was real to them because they considered the Dutch language to be a more holy and pure language. And then I read about sacrificial giving, people who gave when they had nothing to give. And then there are women in this book who couldn't have imagined the opportunity that I have been afforded to stand before you today. It's quite stunning and humbling to think 
that the God of the universe would care to continue that work in us today, subcontracting his handiwork through us. Who would have ever thought that little old us here at Rehoboth could be walking, talking, breathing temples of God's own Holy Spirit? Would you please pray with me? Lord, we come before you this morning. So thankful, God, for the foundations that you have laid. Thank you so much that you are at work here among us. It's so humbling to think, God, about being a temple for you. Why would you ever use us, God? Thank you for that work. Lord, we pray that we would desire to keep in step with you, to hear from your Holy Spirit, and to dance. We lift this all before you in your most holy name. Amen.